their secret mountain lair somewhere in Colorado, this is the Image Doctors Photography Podcast with your hosts, Jason O'Dell and Rick Walker. Hey everyone, it's time for the Image Doctors Photography Podcast. I'm Jason O'Dell. I'm Rick Walker. And it's good to be with you guys today. It's good to be with you, Rick. And um, kind of a snowy winter day after some uh, nice warm weather here in Colorado. It's been up and down. It's, it must be spring in the Rockies, as people around <laughs> it here say. It is. Which uh, lasts a while. <laughs> yeah, which, which really means spring just means wetter snow around. It could be sunny and warm, or it could be four or five inches of snow and blizzard conditions. You never. Yeah. It's not spring in the way most people think about spring. No. <laughs> takes a while to get green around here and for fall nice to pop though. up fall yeah. is nice though um we have a couple of um we're, we're playing catch up a little bit so today we're gonna um catch up on some product announcements that have come out in the last couple of weeks um to let our listeners know about they may already know some of these things but um there's been some cameras some lenses some software updates that have come out they're pretty nice um and then um we have some announcements as to some uh, workshop stuff, some other things going on, and uh, we'll talk a little bit more about uh, Nikon Z9 since I've had mine for two months now. Yeah, so you're going to talk about your thoughts after using it for a little while and working on your ebook, which, which is out, kind which of is actually further not... help clarify things, I think, for you. It was a good exercise. I'll put it that way. Mm -hmm. um, and it's and not everyone's going to sit down and try to take a camera apart. I mean, not physically apart, but, you know, dive into their camera to figure out all the nuance. Um, but it's a really good exercise for learning how to use your camera. Yeah. Um, and I think it's important. We can talk about that uh, um, when the time comes. But um, first thing I want to mention, though, is um, we have a travel photography workshop to Santa Fe, New Mexico and the surrounding areas coming up in at the in the fall i believe it's in october yep um so i want to um i want to uh, mention that to our listeners because we would love for you to join us on this this and should be a really nice one it's a nice time of year um so it's october 20th through 23rd from santa fe new mexico and that's only about an what hour out of albuquerque if you fly in there or if you mm -hmm. are in the area, it's not too, not too far. And we're only allowing, um, we're, we're keeping it at six people. It's capped. So we want this to be sort of a fun uh, photo travel experience. Like imagine you're on a, you know, you're going to a destination and we're going to be with you to, we're going to do food photography and some architectural photography and maybe some landscape photography um, and just explore the, cultures of the santa fe and hopefully taos area yep so that's again coming up in uh october of this year so you can register for that it is open um now let's talk about uh product announcements um yeah so a few things um one um well how about we just go through what we'll we'll chat about and then we'll start diving down into mm -hmm. we'll talk a little bit about the the new Olympus OM1 micro four thirds body mm -hmm. kind of a funny thing since it's the name of a camera that they had in the seventies. Yeah. Um, but you know, that was deliberate. 
nice historical references there. We'll talk very briefly about the new Canon 800 and 1200 millimeter mm -hmm. RF lenses, you know, for their mirrorless line. And then we'll talk a little bit about a new DxO software product. It just came out very recently. It's Pure Raw 2, so their second version mm -hmm. of their Pure Raw product. We'll talk about what that does. But it's my opinion what the first one should have been um, but it's it's a nice one it's a good one good so, so the om1 yeah um that came out about a month ago it was announced um and uh this is in that trend now that we're seeing of faster frame rates with and you know electronic shutters driving fast frame rates in cameras um so no longer being limited to the traditional eight to 12 frame per second that you get with um, DSLRs with mechanical shutters. Um, electronic shutters have always had the potential of offering these fast frame rates because you can't, uh, you don't have to worry about moving parts, but the, the technical uh, ramifications is you've got to be able to read out the, the data off of the screen fast enough. Otherwise you'll get some weird, artifacts with high shutter speeds and things like that yeah it basically goes in rows and if you can't read those off fast enough you can end up with weird skewing and artifacts sort of jello like right. things so we're seeing that now and olympus has their entry the om1 clearly is delivering um this through the stacked sensor that it's got 20 megapixel stack sensor um uh cross type uh phase detect autofocus i believe which, which is I a think cool is thing new yeah for anything that's um, that's very good and you can shoot this in raw all the way up to 120 frames per second although you're going to have some um uh, constraints at that yeah i don't think autofocus or auto exposure will work but that's probably okay and then it'll go up to like 240 frames per second with a 1080p jpeg capture and that's Neat. insane yeah that's crazy um it's but a it's small format small format it's pretty much the same size as the um the olympus that i have which is the em1 mark three it's almost identical mm -hmm. in size so it's not a a big camera it's a fairly compact one but much better viewfinder than the one I have. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Double the resolution, much better colors and clarity. And then they've added in all sorts of subject recognition autofocus. Essentially, the you know same kind of stuff that you have with your Z9. Mm -hmm. It's and the trend for sure. It, it is absolutely the trend, and it's a welcome trend. You know, again, you know we've both used cameras with those features and, and they're wonderfully nice when you're doing certain kinds of photography mm -hmm. and boy i i would have a hard time going back after having those options yeah, yeah totally. so i i think that having that in a very small form factor body that can use lenses that are also smaller than full frame um, can be a really nice thing i you know i think for someone that was really into hardcore bird photography wildlife photography it's an interesting system it really is it's got some nice advantages and i well, wouldn't get put off by the 20 megapixel resolution 
necessarily. No, and, you know, and, and I'm looking through the specs here a little bit as I'm browsing and, you know, very, they, they make a point of mentioning the, the weather ceiling, freeze proof. Um, but with micro four thirds cameras, you finally get, you know, this is the niche where you can exploit the small sensor for telephoto work because you're getting a effectively a two X um, uh, angle of view, you know, focal length compared to what you would get with 35 millimeter. And we've talked about in the past, um, it does not matter how small the camera body is. If the sensor is 35 millimeter sensor or larger, you still need to slap some big glass on those things. Um, this, this camera means you can use something the size of a 300 millimeter lens and get 600 out of it effectively. Right. Uh, and, and with the advances in the autofocus and the technology for people who are doing a lot of, you know, wildlife photography, traveling to more remote locations where weight really matters. This is a great thing. Yeah. I think with the marketing materials that Olympus put out or now it's OM systems, um, there were a few things in there that I think were unfortunate. They, they did not word things very clearly regarding noise performance and dynamic range. And some of the claims that appeared to have been made don't seem to be lining up with reality in, in every case. But nevertheless, it, it looks like it would be a very fine camera. And it's priced absolutely reasonably when you compare it to the other ones sort of in that class. Yeah, as long as you're not just comparing it to micro four thirds cameras. Yeah, right. No, but if you were if you were looking at this as a alternative to, um, you know, well, I mean, I'll put it this way. I used to have a D500. Why? Because it was a DX camera. It had a use for me for certain things like bird and wildlife photography mm -hmm. because of that crop sensor. I was still using 35 millimeter lenses on it for the most part, but it had a had a use case. Uh, if you apply that same use case to say, well, maybe it's not in my same brand that I have necessarily, but if you're looking to say, this is the kind of photography I want to do, wildlife stuff where I'm always pushing the focal length to the end, you know, you're always at the long end of your zooms, then this might be a really good option. And for $2,200 list price is uh, completely reasonable when you compare it to what the, the larger format cameras cost. Right. So it's, it just depends on how you, how you view it. Yeah. Um, one feature that we were talking about that's kind of cool is the, um, uh, what do they call it? The, uh, um, oh, where it captures frames. It starts capturing frames in the buffer as soon as you half press the shutter. Oh, the pro capture feature. Pro capture, that's the one yeah. I was thinking about. And that's neat. Um, and then you, you press the shutter and it captures your normal shot and possibly a few afterwards. So if you're trying to capture peak moment and you know that the animal is going to do something, but you know, we all try to time that where it opens his mouth, let's say. And it never quite works. It ne never quite works. This is allowing you to have some frames on the front end of that moment that, that, that uh, makes your reflexes a little bit more. You know? So if, cause you've got to respond to seeing the behavior in the viewfinder and click the button. Right. And it's not always fast right. enough. So if you're not fast enough on the trigger, this is going to help you out in that regard so yeah, that's a neat little a, feature they, they've got a bunch of things like that i mean that that one has been around for a few years you know and the, the one mm -hmm. i have you know has a feature as well 
Um, but they've, you know, we've talked about it in the past. They've done some nice things with, you know, computational photography. There are other things that they do that involve blending of multiple right. exposures to give you the appearance of a slow shutter speed. And, and there are a bunch of other neat things too. I think Olympus does a really good job of pushing that computational photography envelope around to try things out. Um, yeah, there's, it, there is so much focus right now on the larger sensors and, and there are benefits with the larger sensors. I mean, that's what you and I mm -hmm. use a lot of the time. Um, or virtually all of it in your case. But I truly believe there's more in that micro four thirds format than people are realizing. And I, I really do think that the majority of photographers who use interchangeable lens cameras would probably find it, find it to be just fine and actually preferable in ways that they've not imagined. So I think it's an overlooked format. Yeah, And I think they make some very nice cameras. I was very happy to see them come out with that one. I'm not currently planning on buying one because I'm trying to reduce the number of systems. That right. I have, and I haven't figured out what I'm going to do with micro four thirds yet. I have mixed thoughts. But if you're looking for a small system, this is the way to go. Gosh, nice. nice De definitely. Body. Yeah. All right. So a quick one. Canon came out with two super two telephotos for their RF mirrorless mm -hmm mount an 800 millimeter and a 1200 millimeter yeah they're big they're extraordinarily expensive yeah uh, the the 800 is a 5.6 the 1200 mm -hmm. is an f8 and what this tells you again an f8 lens wouldn't have been a really viable thing in dslr land for the most part because you would have had a lot of focus constraints in terms of performance not you know and, and limiting the number of sensors af points that you could use now F8 is really not a problem other than it's the normal, you know, the traditional uh, depth of field and or loss of light, you know, having to use higher ISOs. But here we are, you know, where higher ISOs don't matter too much in terms of noise. Um, it's allowing, you know, it, it's funny because I look at it, it, it's not this focal length, but you're seeing these trends of going to slower lenses and they're okay. I mean, I think back to the lenses that we used, you know, on manual of focus and film days there were a lot of slower lenses around um just because they were smaller to to build it wasn't because of you know they were smaller and lighter to handhold um i think back to the lens that my um phd advisor used all the time for wildlife it was the nikon 400 56 um you I know, had one of those. I mean, it is a good lens. I guess I, I still do. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, in my there closet. You go. Um, yeah. And so those were those were good, but but they had their limitations. Most notably was that they were slower, and but that's how you can make them less expensive. And now, well, you can get all the autofocus goodness with with the slower lenses. Yeah, I, I would just advise our listeners if you um, aren't going to trade in a relatively recent vehicle for one of these to pay for it. <laughs> Don't look at the price because the, the, these are not clearly uh, they're not marketed towards the, the casual enthusiast. I think you were saying that a 1200 is 20,000 us dollars. Yeah, exactly. Ooh, cool. That's, you so know, that's something that you could get a used car more likely to rent or it would go into a pool for photographers to share yeah and they're yeah. still big and heavy and massive and come with oh, all God, those yeah. 
So these yeah, are uses, specific but... use cases for these, yeah. um, but not one I would lug around. And then the next one that we'll just talk briefly about, and I, I've had a chance to play with it a little bit, is the DxO Pure Raw 2 software. And, you know, it's an improved version of Pure Raw, <laughs> which is something they came out with mm -hmm. um, about a year or so ago. And, you know, what these products do is it's very streamlined. It will prepare a DNG file that you can use in Lightroom, for example. You could use it in Capture One as well and a few other programs, but it will have the DxO noise reduction baked into it. Um, their sharpening, their um, lens corrections. You can turn on or off those last two parameters and you can vary what kind of noise reduction engine mm -hmm. is used, but that's it. There's no editing, whatever. It's, it's something simply to prepare something at the front end of your processing that then you edit in something like Lightroom. And, and the big change in the program from my standpoint, well, there are two things. One is that uh, it actually integrates with Lightroom, which was a bizarre limitation with the original one where it did not. And it, it was, for something that was supposed to be streamlined, it was actually quite clunky. Um, the second thing is they now have support for the Fuji X-Trans sensors. Mm. You know, which mm -hmm. is which are what Fuji uses on most of their APS-C cameras. It's different pattern that has to be demosaic de differently, and pro programs like Lightroom don't do a great job with it. Um, this one actually does a good job, and actually the original Pure Raw would support some Fuji things too, but it was kind of hidden in the background. But this does a nice job. And it's, it's very fluid with Lightroom. It's quick to operate. And, you know, the results are good. I, where I think it works and, and what the market is would be, for one, you know, if you're a Lightroom user and you want something that does a very good job on noise reduction and, you know, pretty straightforward sharpening and lens corrections, it'll do that. And it will definitely do a better job than Lightroom when you get up to those really silly higher ISOs, but you can run into those. And mm -hmm. especially with like some of the slower lenses that you were mentioning yep, there, coming exactly. out now, you're more likely to, to get into those situations. So this handles it quite well. Um, I really can't think of anything negative to say about it. It, it does what I thought it should have done in the first version. Um, now it does it a little bit later, but I would think about it, especially if you make your you living are, with those kinds of files, then it makes a lot of sense. So or you, you do enough of that kind of photography, right? If right. you're a micro four thirds photographer, right. I was going to bring you that get up. into higher ISOs at times. It does a bang up job on those. Mm -hmm. So this software, just to sort of summarize, you, you run it, it, it demosaics your, your original raw format image. It applies noise reduction lens corrections and sharpening some of which you can tweak or, or turn on and off and then Just it returns yeah. it, it returns now a new file that's in dng format that lightroom or capture one can read and you can just edit it normally like you would your your regular photos mm -hmm. they've just gone through a pre-processing um algorithm 
and unlike some of the competitors that we talked about a while back, you actually are able to use color pro profiles of your choice. The camera profiles, that's huge because- Yeah, or whatever. Right. As opposed to just one that's baked in. Correct. Which, that, which yeah, was, that's a big deal breaker for me on some software where, yeah, where it's like, too. okay, it does a great job with noise reduction, but the image comes back using weird color profiles and contrast that you can't edit after the fact because they're baked in. And so this doesn't do that is what you're saying. And that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Okay. Um, well, like I said, if you want to show off your, your bank account and drain it, get a Canon lens. This software is about $129 US, I think, um, from DxO. It's on their website. So you can check that out too. And there is an upgrade price if you have the original. Cool. Excellent. As, you, as, as it should be. Okay. What do we have? Oh, yeah, the Z9. We're going right? to talk. We're going to let you chat about your Z9 a little bit, which I like a lot. Yeah, so um, you've had it for two months. Yeah, just almost exactly two months, just over two months. Yeah. Um, and I got it um, right before I flew to California to do bird workshop, so it was perfect place to to try it. Um, obviously, I like the camera enough that I wrote a, a guy an ebook. Uh, 90 pages of, of um, goodness, including all my settings, all the autofocus parameters, you know, how to use the camera mostly for bird and wildlife photography, which is, you know, a great use case. The Z9 is, um, you know, obviously a camera that could handle any kind of photography. You've got enough megapixels for landscapes. Uh, you've got the fastest autofocus that Nikon's got, plus all the subject detection, plus the crazy frame rates for action photography, pretty much it will do anything that you ask it to. Um, it does good video, all, all, I mean, which I don't do, but you know, all, all of those things are good. So, so I like it, um, but as with anything, there's pros and cons. <laughs> to having so all be, before we get into the cons, what would you say are your three favorite um, things that are in the camera that weren't there with previous cameras? Yeah, the at least for me, the 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 autofocus system as a whole is simply outstanding, mm -hmm. um, including, you know, including features that that were in the DSLRs that never got into the Z67 line, like just mm -hmm. being able to customize the autofocus to steady or erratic subjects, that kind of stuff, the configurations and, and the tweaking of the, the autofocus. Um, Obviously, being able to shoot um, with no viewfinder blackout, it doesn't even matter if I'm shooting. I don't need the 20 frames per second. I mean, that's great, but um, it's it's nice to have that. But really, the viewfinder experience is wonderful with this camera. Mm -hmm. um, that that is is huge. And then, lastly, and I think this is the the other the big thing uh, for me at least is the ability to for the user to customize so much in this camera to the point where it can make your head hurt. And part of the reason why I wrote my ebook was, was for this, but you've got, you know, the, the larger form factor of this camera means there's more function buttons that are programmable, you know, you assign functions to, um, so that when you are shooting, you can override certain settings or change settings without taking your eye out of the viewfinder. That's, you know, it's, it's pleasant to shoot this camera. It is absolutely, you know, the, the shooting experience is really good. And, and that's, you know, 
the subject detection stuff we talked about all that you know that those are all good things but but using this camera is pleasant yeah i know it's somewhat related to the blackout free shooting but if i had asked you for four items do you think the um electronic shutter that can run very quickly so you don't have the weird skewing and stuff but it's utterly silent if you choose it to be as oh it's amazing up there yeah yeah it, it's it's fantastic in fact it's funny though i do have my camera set normally to create a click sound so that i get the audio feedback and you mm -hmm. can make it quiet or loud whatever you can you can do that it also has visual indicators in the viewfinder that will light up you know the little edges will light up when mm -hmm. when you're trying to to um when it when it takes a photo because you need the you need to know that you're taking pictures you especially if you're shooting at 15 20 frames per second raw yeah without um, those you don't necessarily see anything happening right um so so it takes some getting used to but but knowing that you could use it in complete silent mode it was funny i was testing the flash i put on my sb 900 i don't have a newer flash than that and the only sound the camera makes was just the little the pop of the flash that was it yeah. and that's pretty quiet honestly that's not a very loud yeah. thing so so if you're a wedding photographer i could see using this you know again it's going to work really well in 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 auto focusing and dim light you know all of those technological improvements um, being able to shoot silently at any shutter speed um, is a good thing. I mean, you're not, you're not, there were some limitations to the, to the shutter speeds when you use silent shooting um, with the, the earlier Z cameras that this camera doesn't have. Yeah. But there's, there's just a lot of, I, I really think that the way you can configure this camera for the user experience, which is something we've talked about a lot as being an important thing is really nice. Yeah. And some of this you could maybe argue is way overdue from Nikon, but it's there in the Z9 and yeah. I'm happy that it is. Cuz I got a lot of little features that are just that have nothing to do with taking pictures, but it just makes my life nicer. Yeah. They just need to get some things in some smaller and more ca compact cameras. I I absolutely are, agree. I mean they're, they they're, are overdue on that. That's that that would be the biggest it, my 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 negative on the z9 isn't anything about the camera uh, itself other than its sheer size it, it's bigger it's heavier i don't see myself ever really going on vacation with this camera yeah and that's a different story i, mean, I probably might not have gone on vacation with a z7 either but you know it, it's certainly a different thing if you're trying to pack small this ain't gonna do it um you know there's there's some uh you know minor uh you know nikon still omits minor things like they got rid of exposure delay mode which was one of my favorite things because you could just press the shutter on it was like self-timer but but you didn't have to be in self-timer mode to activate it um, which is something i like for landscape photography or long exposure photography yeah. but you know everything has a workaround um you know but again the the lcd the viewfinder system and then the configuration of of you know what you can put not only how many buttons you have, but more importantly, the number of of things that you can assign to buttons. That's the real key. It's not having 20 buttons. You'll never remember them. <laughs> but, but when you go into the menu to see what you can assign to a particular function button, it's a very deep list. And if there's one, for example, one thing that I like a lot 
is they have a uh and i think other cameras may do this too but it's a it's a function that's unique to the z9 it's called recall shooting functions and i talk mm -hmm. about this in my in sure. my ebook um it gives you an entire menu of every single shooting setting and by shooting setting i mean shutter speed expo exposure mode metering pattern shutter speed aperture frame rate crop iso and you don't have to choose them all you can just check off the ones that you want so if you wanted to create a toggle say to co completely switch over because you know say you're shooting you know a subject and you know you're using fairly modest shutter speeds because it's just sitting there and all of a sudden there's something fast that happens you can press one button and the entire camera gets toggled into that setting as long as you hold it down and now you're shooting you know 20 frames a second at two thousandth of a second shutter speed or something like that or right. whatever and, and maybe completely change your focusing pattern from single point to some sort of dynamic pattern or subject detection you know area mode thing right and it just it's it's a it's a complete override and it's very very cool yeah um so yeah i like i like that a lot but again it has to fit in my bag and it is heavier <laughs> so there is the... yeah and that that was a it's a legitimate it concern was, yeah it was a deal breaker for me and with nikon not having anything that supported those functions that we were just talking about i i'd set a mental reminder for myself at the start of the year um to reassess so mm -hmm. i did yeah i mean it's it, it's fine well see so here's here's what it's this shame but here, here's what the z9 tells me mm -hmm. um and we talked about this a little bit earlier but when nikon puts their mind to something and they're convinced in the product they do a really good job they you know there's there's really not a lot not to like about the z9 the Z9 simply, though, by its existence, begs the question: Where was this earlier, guys? <laughs> you know, where? You know, because some yeah. of these things were not technology limited. I mean, the electronic shutter thing that we talked about earlier, yeah, that's new technology, or that that requires some hardware. The autofocus systems require some hardware, but a lot of these things are simply software things that could be in other cameras. There's no reason, in my opinion, not to have those in other cameras, and so their absence kind of makes you it hurts a little bit because you see what they are able to do, but then it's only available in their flagship body. So again, am I convinced that there will be more? Of course. I mean, at this point, I think Nikon is gotta be coming out with something in a smaller form factor. I don't know what that will be. I don't know what it is, but you know, the Z9 is, is incredible. On the other hand, if you don't make a living where you're shooting sports action, serious fast frame wildlife stuff i i would find it hard to recommend a z9 to the casual shooter i mean it's well, it's I, an amazing I, camera it just it's it's more than what most people need well i think it just depends on what your disposable income is right like oh, a lot sure. of things yeah. it's not an absolute thing it's not like no oh you can only have this camera if you you know sell out x number of images per year or whatever it's it's How a wonderful it, camera and if you it want it your budget does it align yeah. with your needs you know you know and if you need some suggestions for settings <laughs> i know a guy <laughs> so. i have read your book and i think you did a very nice job on it one thing i will say is you know you've you wrote it for 
bird and, and animal photography, you know, mm -hmm. wildlife photography. But I actually think that if someone has a Z9 and is doing other things with it, they'll be able to use many of the recommendations that are in the book. Right. You know, so I think someone doing sports or other things yeah. could could get useful information out of it. They'll just it, have to do a little bit of work on the You would just too. need to tweak certain things like, okay, I'm gonna change the subject detection from only animals to say people or something different or vehicle right. i mean it, it, otherwise the stuff that because anybody can write a book that tells you you know you know f8 and be there because half the time that's what this camera will right. let you do you know f8 sure. and be there right it comes but but what it comes down to are button configurations and what i spent a lot of time in this book the, the two longest chapters in this book essentially are going through every single autofocus menu what what mm -hmm. that does and why and, and the patterns and the zones and the subject detection and because you need to know we talked about the deep dive you need to know what the camera will do and you also need to know what its limitations are mm -hmm. and when do you switch the fact that you have you know however many different af patterns is is irrelevant most of the time you only need one two maybe three right you, you just don't need too many the question is is which ones work for your subject that you're shooting and which ones provide you a quick override to something different in those times where something like say subject detection fails where it mm -hmm. gets fooled and you need to be able to quickly change and those are the kinds of settings that i spend in the other long chapter talking about what do you assign to function buttons and most importantly what things should you consider when you're assigning function buttons like we've talked about some function buttons are easy to reach when you're shooting the camera, you know, with your eye to the viewfinder. Some of those buttons are harder to reach if you're in um, portrait orientation versus landscape orientation, right? So your choices for what buttons that you assign um, come down to the way you use the camera. And so the, here's a camera that's incredibly customizable for that. You could really tailor in. I mean, I know you would. You would tailor in you know mm -hmm. your settings and the fact that you get four different banks of things well that's overkill most people will have one group of settings maybe two you don't want to change your control configurations radically otherwise your head will explode you'll never remember how to use your camera yeah so that's another especially thing. if you're not using it every day right you know if if you're like most people where you know you pick it up every few weeks or in some cases every few months and then do some concentrated shooting and then put it back on the shelf, you'll get lost in a hurry. Right. So I actually have, banks. I actually include the settings for my regular everyday settings as the standard. That's my normal configuration, you know, raw shooting and some mm -hmm. other stuff, aperture priority, whatever. And then the, the wildlife settings are um, a variant, a specific use case with a slightly different button configuration that does those wildlife settings. Um, so that when you go to it, you know, the advantage of having these things stored in banks is that you don't need to remember what all the changes are. You just go to your other bank and then it applies those settings to the camera wholesale. If you make those two different though, you're gonna be in trouble. So, um, you know, one of the things I included when I wrote the book was, um, and this is a great, a great thing. We talk about back button focus all the time, but a lot of people still like to use shutter AF, you know, half press to shutter. What does that mean? Well, if you use that, it means that you can use your AF on button as a custom button to configure right. it to something different. So I've 
you know, so one of the things I did was I said, well, if you're going to use it this way, how would you configure the camera? And here's some suggestions, um, because it, again, it just depends on the subjects that you're shooting. But but to clarify, you've got configurations in there for both back button focusing and for people who use the shutter release to auto focus. Right, and and suggest and a couple of different, you know, a, a core setup and then some alternative setups because again it depends on how you want to use the buttons um and then just for for the heck of it i said why not just you can save your set on the z9 you can well most of the z's you can save the settings out the entire camera settings so people who get the the ebook they it, it includes a download to my settings file so you put it on a memory card install it load and you would have all of those settings pre-configured for you in the different banks if if that's what you want to do if you don't mind overriding your own settings, you have to. And, and one that. thing I'll point out, because this is something that we talked about a long time ago that I played with, I think initially, which is you also include a, a Lightroom profile that mm -hmm. will automate your sharpening and noise reduction and other settings. Correct. Which, you know, we've both used for a while now, and and that's a really nice thing. But you've got it set up to work with the. You know, kind of customized for the Z9. Yeah, so I have a specific Z9. I've got two develop presets that I worked on. They're very mm -hmm. similar. One is a develop preset that when you apply it in Lightroom, you click, you know, Z9 wildlife settings. It it basically creates some baseline adjustments. It doesn't do too too much to contrast or color, although it uses a specific profile that I think works well for for wildlife. But most importantly, it's that ISO adaptive stuff. So mm -hmm. the sharpening and and, uh, and more importantly, the noise reduction settings do change based on the ISO of your image. And then I've included a more generic preset that if someone wants to set up Lightroom to use that as the camera default, you could use that one too, which also mm -hmm. includes the ISO adaptive stuff, but, but it doesn't, uh, it, it'll read certain settings from the camera, you know, directly. You mm -hmm. know. And, and there's instructions on how to do it. But, but yep. yeah, this ISO dependent thing, I spent a good a good chunk of time going through every image to make sure that that the noise reduction and sharpening settings look good and then lightroom will in, interpolate the in-betweens so mm -hmm. so it's a cool thing it, it works well yeah all right anyway um, i'm writing so it. you'll have a link for that on on our facebook page you know with this oh, podcast yeah. we'll also Absolutely. have a link there for the santa fe taos workshop mm -hmm. that we mentioned and please do sign up for that we'd love to see you It'll, oh, it'll be, be fun. A, it'll be very nice. And I think especially if there are any couples out there where both are interested in photography, it's a great trip mm -hmm. for couples. It just, it'll be nice and relaxed. And there are other things to do other than just photography. So. Yeah. Cool I'm places. looking forward to that yep. as well as some other things coming up. It's good to be getting back outside with the camera again. That's for sure. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. okay. Well, we're going to be off next week. I'm on a vacation, so we'll be back in two weeks after this. Just heads up. So if we're not out there, um, that's why. And uh, we'll see you next time. Happy shooting. All right. Bye-bye.